Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 111. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide and have been a full-time outdoor instructor and guide since founding the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School in 1999. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident in the natural world through our bushcraft and guide training semester programs and multi-week canoe and snowshoe expeditions. You can check out the show notes to all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. If you're interested in learning more about our college-accredited and GI Bill-approved programs, visit the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School on the web at jackmtn.com. And check out our online network and digital learning academy at bushcraftschool.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Smith, and we haven't done this for a while. I think the last one we recorded was the end of the fall semester with Matthew Road. Um, And current events, you know, we ended up canceling all of our winter programs this year again, uh, second year in a row, uh, because of COVID. Um, you know, ultimately while camp life is ideal for social distancing for three seasons, because you're camped in your own tent, we're outside all the time. Um, you know, we're not, it's not as if we're in some place with bad ventilation, uh, in the winter time, you know, cramming people from all over the U S and, and Canada into small tents that are unventilated, um, you know, small cabins, small wall tents is sort of the antithesis to uh, social distancing. So in order to be safe, uh, we decided to cancel for this year. And I drug my feet on that and waited till the last minute, you know, hoping that the Omicron bit was going to be past us. Uh, But no such luck. Um, So ended up pulling the pin on it and saying, not this year. In other news, the dates are on the calendar for next winter, and hopefully we're going to uh, be able to have a very robust winter calendar for the first year in a few, because hopefully by then we'll be out um, from under the thumb of the pandemic. Um, So we're going to have the Winter Woodsman, we're going to have the Boreal Snowshoe Expedition, and we're actually planning a big winter expedition. multi-week uh real something real hard uh as a full tang expedition so really looking forward to that on today's episode of the podcast it is part one of a two-part series where i speak with our old friend and instructor paul sfiam and we discuss uh 10 things that he wished he knew when getting started with fly fishing you know, so what do you do in the middle of winter? You plan out your summer garden and you plan out all the fishing trips that you want to take uh, on those kind of icy, snowy, super cold nights. Um, so without any further ado, let's get to it. So welcome back to the podcast, Paul Sfian. How are you doing today? Hey, Tim, man, I am. I'm doing great. Uh, it's the only thing that's not great is that we are thousands of miles apart. And that, just doesn't, that, that doesn't sit well with me. That doesn't feel right. But absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? I mean, I would, I, I would love to say yes right now. Uh, I'm just going to say yes, and then, okay. and then we'll move on. But I, I, yeah. it, it's hard. It's hard it's being hard. this far away from 
It is. It's it's a challenge. So it's the middle of winter. Um, middle of winter. And what do you do in the middle of winter? You sit around and you think about what you're going to do in the springtime. Um, and that, in my mind, I'm often like planning, hey, what am I going to grow in the garden? What seeds am I going to get? Where am I going to fish this year? Like what, what, you know, every year in the winter, I'm like, this is the year that I'm going to fish every weekend and, you know, throw a few casts down and, and really get into it. Um, so let's talk about fishing. So you, I, I can't remember if you had the master guide license the last time we talked fishing on the podcast, uh, but Paul is a registered master main guide and um, has been running our fly fishing school at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School now, uh, the director of the fly fishing school. So last year in the middle of the pandemic, you know, bucking the system, you ran a couple of super well-received fly fishing programs, right? Um, so there's an intro weekend and then there's some advanced fishing on the river. Um, so tell us like, give us like the 30 second overview on how those went. Yeah, sure. So I think I, I think I was master certified this time last year, but the pandemic starting to get into the blurry, the blurries for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we ran uh, two classes last year uh, as part of our uh, fly fishing programming at Jack Mountain. And, and both were uh, just personally for me, tremendously fun. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of coming out of the dark ages of, of having a little toddler around the house. So it's, uh, it's fun to be able to get back out and, and get guiding again and get back up to get back up the Jack Mountain where I spent uh, so much time. And so we, we had a blast. Uh, we ran our uh, inaugural intro to fly fishing weekend uh, last Memorial Day. And that was uh, that was just so much fun for me to get out uh, and share uh, love of this sport and a love of the outdoors and, uh, you know, getting, getting folks on that first step towards becoming fly fishers. I'm going to try to be correct and say fly fisher, uh, instead of fly fishermen, uh, it's just seem, it seems like the right thing. So if I, if I say a fly fisherman, hit the big red zap button and, and I'll go back to fly fisher or fly angler. There you go. Oh. I'm, and again, I'm a big proponent of the difference between angling and fishing, right? Like angling, one guy, one line, fishing, hauling a huge net behind an offshore trawler uh, or, or whatever. That's, that's the advanced class. Uh, it's, it's offshore, <laughs> deep sea dredging. Uh, no, so we ran our, our first intro class in May, and then we ran our first uh, advanced fly fishing class uh, based out of the Biggity Campground on the west branch of the Penobscot last uh, last end of September it was and that just was, like the you know the big eddy on the west branch is like the hallowed halls of Maine fishing right I mean uh, if you could read yeah. hundreds of years of, of Maine fly fishing literature it would be mentioned near the top of the list in in you know in most of those sort of top tens oh for sure it's, it's classic Maine uh, big water fishing a lot of main fly fishing is uh, small, thin blue lines uh, for, for native brook trout. Um, or, you know, if you're down here in southern Maine, a lot of warm water fishing for warm water species, which is a ton of fun, tremendous fun on a fly. Uh, but, you know, you get up north and when you can find those big, deep, fast rivers, you know, then you start looking at the native landlocked salmon population and, and brook trout that get a little bigger than the brookies that live in 
in the creeks and streams up north. So uh, you know, I agree, Big Eddy itself and the other large pools on the West Branch, um, you know, they're busy. It's a destination for people worldwide. But you know, you come with us, and we'll get you on water that uh, no one else is fishing. And that's you know, one of the one of the reasons to go with the guide. Yeah, so I just want to hear kind of in your words, your personal fly fishing journey, how you got into it. And, you know, maybe you'll inspire a young person with it. Because uh, I remember, it was like 2005 or 2006. Do you remember that time, fall uh, semester, we were on the Allagash and it was near the end of the trip. We were out for like two weeks. We were camped at Five Finger Brook and you were, I think you were just getting into it then and I think it was you, but somebody caught up like a 14 inch brookie that had a mouse in its belly. Remember the Scottish guy <laughs> was teaching everybody how to spay cast and he broke my saw and all that. You remember that trip? Uh, you know, your, your memory is keen, Tim. I remember the Scottish fella and his son. And the next morning, trip. the next morning, there was a, like a young bull moose across the stream yeah. and we were calling it and it chased us for two miles and everybody was really freaked out. That got a little dicey. That uh, did get a little dicey, but I remember I thought, that. And that, yeah. that was sort of like you, you were just getting into it then. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And actually, if our listeners go back to the podcast, we recorded last, um, last summer. Is that last summer we did the podcast? I think it was Memorial it was Day when, when we were doing the it class. Was. It was last May. Uh, I, I told a story on that about one of my first memories of fly fishing uh, with you. I was probably in my mid twenties. You guys go back and listen to that story again. I won't. Uh, tell the same story twice. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I have fished my whole life and um, got into fly fishing really as that obsessive life altering level when I lived in South Central Montana when I was in my late 20s. And that was uh, just a time in my life. I had a lot of time, a little bit of disposable income. And uh, just, I lived like, literally on the banks of, of, of some of the rivers that people save their whole life to, to go visit and fish once. And so I had the privilege to, to really, I was going to say cut my teeth, but it was more of cutting into my wallet and future uh, pretty bad. Uh, I was out there every day. Uh, but, uh, so this is, a caution, this is a cautionary tale for young people. <laughs> Don't go down the rabbit hole. It is. And that, that's, you know, that, that's kind of a great great segue into what I wanted to share today and and what a lot of our introductory class is about is um, you know fly fishing is just like a lot of activities in our culture where if you if you can cut to the bone it's, it's pretty simple um, you know we're trying to fool an animal with the brain the size of a pencil eraser into eating a, a piece of food really and that's that's about as complicated as the sport needs to be and that's if you trace fly fishing back to its origins that's what that's what we were doing we were literally attaching a mayfly or, or some kind of aquatic insect life to a, a hook and and dangling it out there letting it blow in the breeze and letting it land on the water and the fish would eat it and then we'd eat the fish uh, this was before a lot of the catch and release came along and so and, and then th the nice thing about it is that fish haven't changed much in in you know 500 years they're, they're still the same beans they're still uh, you know, a few knocks below us on the intelligence scale and they, they need to eat and, and we, we're pretty good at catching them. And like I was saying, there's like a lot of activities. We make a very simple activity, very, very complicated with fly fishing. Amen. Um, and, 
And, and yeah, and, and unfortunately, I guess from my perspective, I, I see it as, as kind of a disservice to a lot of people because it's, it, put, it creates a lot of artificial barriers to getting into this activity, which brings, uh, you know, ironically, should be so much peace and, and tranquility and serenity and joy and love into your life. But then we, we kind of have a lock on that door that it seems really, it's formidable for a lot of people to get into. And it was for myself. Um, I wholeheartedly agree. I think like so many other activities in the modern world, uh, it's a victim of the information age. You know, like people think they can't go out and engage and participate in the sport without spending 7,000 hours watching YouTube videos about the perfect cast, the perfect year, the perfect fly. And, you know, I remember my very first fly rod. I grew up in New Hampshire and spin fishing, right? And I remember reading about fly fishing. I was probably like 11 years old, reading about fly fishing. I was like, this sounds so cool. So I remember I hopped on my bike and rode to town and I bought a fly rod for like 11 bucks. Um, an old, uh, I think it must've been an Eagle Claw and it was probably fiberglass. And I probably still have it in the back of a shed somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like that's sort of the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's sort of that 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 youthful exuberance and enthusiasm, right, is sort of what you're going for on the classes, you know, get people to wear, basically give them permission to not have to watch 700 hours of video and study books about aquatic entomology for 60 hours and just get out on the water and have fun. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm still kind of like the mental image of, of little boy Tim riding a bicycle to get a fishing rod that's going to stick in my head for a while um <laughs> bikes were when i was a kid bikes were everything like you it wasn't a razor scooter that's how you got to like all the little places and we knew all the little trails around the town and you knew every like every hole every like spring hole that held trout and you know it was it was awesome so many days like and i look back now and some of the places that we ride bikes to go fish when you know when you're like 12 or 13 it must have been like a three and a half hour bike ride to get there <laughs> and i don't even remember any of it so it was like you were so focused on getting there and then you know then it's getting dark and you want to get off the road before dark because your mom will scream at you for being out too late and missing dinner and stuff but but yeah it was just a it was a simpler age yeah no i love that that's that's the perfect uh, you know, it's the journey, not the destination kind of story. And I, I love that because you're right. I mean, that's how, you know, that's how a lot of us started. You know, I, I remember I was fishing the cane rod with worm and bobber off my grandpa's dock kitchen bluegills when I was little. And that was like pretty much the coolest thing. There was no, you know, I'm going to hold up this bluegill for a Instagram picture. Or I'm not going to, you know, go home and obsess about, you know, how much money I'm going to spend on gear this year or all these exotic destinations that are telling you that your backyard pond isn't good enough so i, I it's, it's it was a simpler time right? we can agree on that uh, i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna pass judgment on good or bad but it was simple it was a simpler time right? yeah yeah no and it, so, it, and it's all good i enjoy you know the modern thing and i enjoy having access to so much information and you know on a on a rainy or snowy or sleety winter's eve how much fun to sit back with with a, you know, well-written stories about fishing and, and things. It's enjoyable. Oh, for sure. And I guess I, I say all that pretty tongue-in-cheek because you guys can't see it in podcast land, but behind me is um, more money in fly fishing gear than I would love, I would feel comfortable admitting uh, to the general public. And so, you know, I, on one hand, I definitely, I appreciate 
the the metaphysical side of life. And on the other hand, I have spent enough money and time on fly fishing to probably last a few lifetimes. So uh, there's, <laughs> you got to be able to understand the both. That's, that's like the journey of anyone. Um, you know, you start with nothing and you want everything and then you, you get a little bit and, of stuff and you're just so hungry for knowledge. And then you get the knowledge and you realize that stuff doesn't matter. And it's kind of a continuum that we're all on. And I'm, I'm still in, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. Again. I still buy a lot of stuff. Amazon's busy delivering feathers and stuff to me still. So, um, well, let's, okay. So we talked about our, uh, we talked about the, um, classes we're running them again this year. So we've got dates on the schedule for the introduction to fly fishing class and the advanced fly fishing class. Um, but we're not here to try to sell you fly fishing classes. We're here to give you some information that you can use. So you just published a blog post on the Jack Mountain blog, um, which is essentially, uh, uh, 10 things that you wish that you knew or that you had read before going down the fly fishing rabbit hole, right? Oh, totally. And, um, uh, yeah, totally. And, and, and I say that because I look at myself when I was younger and how much time I spent researching and, and money I probably spent on things I didn't need. And, um, and there's a lot of value to that. And I, I, I acknowledge that in the blog post that if you want to go down the rabbit hole, it, you'll come out, you know, knowing a lot, but it's going to add a lot of time and, and money into your, into your journey. And so I, cause I just kind of sat back and I was thinking of, you know, what would I have loved for someone to sit down and, and chat with me about, um, you know, when I was really, really hungry and getting into it. And so I, I started writing a list out and I thought that'd make a really good blog post because I bet there's people out there who are, you know, just kind of opening the door and, and want to get into fly fishing, kind of like what you were talking about, Tim, you, you see the whole world, but you don't really know where to start. And so I, I, I started making a list and that's what this blog post um, kind of turned into. And, um, and so the first thing I started with was I didn't want to start with gear. Uh, it, it's too easy to look at any activity and start buying stuff. Um, and then, if you're yeah. insinuating that the most important part of everything isn't to look the part, I don't really, honestly, I don't even understand where you're coming from anymore. I don't even know who you are. Like, this is the age of Instagram. If you don't look the part, you're nothing. You'll never be an influencer. As, and and I I'm just bitter. I clearly, this is just, this is just bitter angst coming out of me for not being a, a Instagram uh, influencer at this later stage of my, my, my evolution. Uh, it's just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm jealous really, what it comes down to. Um, no, it's funny yeah. though. Like, man, you know, pick up any fly fishing magazine and what are you looking at? You know, you're looking at that person that's head to toe, uh, you know, brand new gear. They're probably three or four grand deep into that day. And, um, you take a picture of me and I, I probably look the same. So can't throw too many stones, but, um, but Definitely. if you're also, if you're insinuating that the fish don't really care what uh, sort of specialty fly fishing shirt or pants you're wearing, like I'm not buying it. I am not believing that. Oh, they, they can read. They, they can read labels. Like if sure. you don't have the right logo on your gear, they're not going to bite at the, the terminal tackle that you're throwing out it, for them. It's, they're going to disrespect you all day long, all day long. <laughs> Um, no, it, it, it's, it's a funny thing. And, and so in all of our introductory classes, that's, that's something that I talk a lot about because I'm a, I'm a pro guide uh, through a couple of fly fishing companies. Um, and so, uh, you know, I get discounts on gear that, 
you know, I, I support because I think it's good stuff. Um, but I always try to be pretty upfront and honest that I don't, uh, you know, I don't have an angle or a, a marketing aim from any company. I, I try to give people directions to get into the gear that I think is valuable and important. And that comes at a good value to their ability and their needs. Um, yeah, don't get the worst. Them, so. Don't get the absolute cheapest, but you don't need the most expensive either. Somewhere in the middle is okay. Yeah. But we'll talk about gear in a minute. Yeah, I want to go through uh, through the the ten things point by point and have you kind of riff on on what you mean. All so right. the number one, um, love. So what do you mean by that? It means that when I look at you, Tim, I just want a big hug right now. Yeah, just I miss I'm missing the hugs. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the love. It's the, it's the pandemic. It, it's the it's pandemic love. Yeah. It's the sequel to radar love. Pandemic <laughs> love. Uh, yeah, I got two kids. Dad jokes are rampant. Yeah, um, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Man, I, you know, you, give me anyone who's good at any activity, and they love it. They are there because they absolutely can't get enough of that activity <clears throat> of what it does for them, what it gives for them, uh, and. And, and that's, that's what you see. Uh, I know that you were mentioned you're watching the Olympics a lot lately and all those Olympians, they, they don't need to be getting gold medals. They love it. You know, I don't know who loves that skeleton thing. Cause that seems like pure terror, you know, but uh, without the love and without that connection to an activity, you're not going to, you're not going to do it. And I've seen it as a guide. You know, I've seen people who don't have, the skill, but they just love being outdoors. They love being in the water, they love being away from their phone, from their work, from their daily life. They love just feeling the sun on their face. They love catching a fish once in a while. They love, you know, throwing a fly, but more than not, they just love being out there. And yeah. I, I, we, we saw that last May, uh, you know, a couple guys were just, just in happy land being outdoors and being together. And to me, that's that's beautiful because then, uh, you know, fishing is fickle. And, and when we get into fly fishing, you're you're choosing the probably the hardest way to catch. If you're fishing for a trout, the hardest fish to catch. And so your return is going to be lower than if you just throw worms you know, with spinning gear. You're, you're probably going to catch more fish. It's going to be easier. Um, and so with fly fishing, if you get into it, you know, you're already kind of stacking the odds against you. You're going to have some long days. And some challenges and maybe a little bit of frustration so if you don't love being out there it's just it's not going to stick you know i've also seen people that you know when they're learning they don't they don't seem to love being out there and they get frustrated and then man then you're then you're really in a death spiral when you're fishing if you're if you're not loving it it's not gonna it's not gonna do much for you and you're just gonna you're gonna phase out of it and that's why there's tennis or i don't know minecraft or uh, golf there's other activities to try out I don't know if you don't have the love for even just being out in nature, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's going to be hard not to say you can't do it and not to say you can't develop that relationship uh, with nature, uh, but it's, it's, it's important. And I, I wanted that to be the first thing that people think about when you're getting into any outdoor activity and fly fishing, especially is man, you gotta, you gotta love being out there. And, Absolutely. And, Cause it, encapsulates how can, how could your, you not, really? it encapsulates your motivation and without the motivation, you're not going to stick with it. I agree. Oh yeah. And like, man, we just, it gives you an excuse just to be a little kid and play outside and wave a stick and throw bugs at fish and splash in the water and play in the mud and look at bugs and, and get dirty. And, and how could you not love that? 
So number two uh, of your top 10, rod, reel, and line. So here we are getting into gear. And again, like I'll often poo-poo gear, but, but gear is important. Get the right stuff. I think when I poo-poo it, it's more about people's obsession with having the best stuff, which is that's a rabbit hole that'll you'll never get out of. Uh, but having, you know, it should be good enough. Don't get the, don't ride your bike to town and get the $11 Eagle Claw fiberglass uh, fly rod. So in a yeah. nutshell, what should people look for? If they're looking, if, so you're new to fly fishing, what's the easiest way to get something that's useful? Yeah, totally. I agree. So I, I had to do a little Amazon uh, scoping out. And uh, for $29.99, you can get a rod reel in line, uh, full kit. and that represents probably a very poor life choice. Um, I, I merely mentioned it to throw out a low-end barometer for price. Um, so and what would what would be the negative? So say I'm like, you know what? I got I got thirty bucks to throw at this new hobby. What's the negative to doing the twenty nine ninety nine package? Like, what? Where does it fall short? Like, what? How would that not serve me well? Right. So kind of like I was saying, when you're fly fishing, you're already choosing difficult way of catching a difficult fish and you need your gear to perform to a certain level to achieve let's say a good cast of your line that's not going to scare the bejeepers out of a fish because uh, trout are very wary and so if your rod is you know got the flexibility of a pool cue uh, it's going to be really hard to cast and if it's going to be really hard to cast when you're learning you're going to have a harder time catching fish and and as a guide, you know, I'm very aware of the fact that clients need a positive feedback. You need to feel that tug on your line. And all I'm afraid of with buying that really, really cheap gear, besides the fact it's going to work, um, and then you're going to get frustrated and probably end up just buying something new, um, you know, in in a couple of weeks. Okay, that uh, makes yeah, perfect I'm, sense. Yeah, I, I I'm just afraid that it's going to negatively impact your enjoyment of being out there. You're just going to be frustrated. It's going to break. And you know, and honestly, at the end of the day, if thirty dollars is your budget then try it out. The worst that will happen is it'll break and you'll be out 30 bucks. Uh, but what I always tell people is, you know, if you're getting into the sport, if you can save 50 bucks, you could save a little longer and save 150. And if you get into the 150 to $175 range from a reputable outdoor company that makes fly fishing gear made by fly fishermen for, I'm saying it, fly fishers, fly fishermen, I was going to roll with it. You're buying gear that's made for fly fishing and it's going to function properly. It's going to cast a line well, which is going to mean you're going to have more success in your learning. You're going to catch more fish. And also it's going to come with a warranty and fly fishing gear can be delicate. It can break. We saw that last May in the intro course. And so when you're buying from a reputable fly fishing company, you're going to get a warranty that's going to cover the breaks that are, you know, it's going to happen. I've broken many rods over the years. It just happens. Um, and so Getting in, I, I, I don't think you need to spend more than $200. Between 150 and 175 you can get a complete kit. And that complete kit will come with a rod and a reel and a line. It'll come with everything you're just about to get out of the water. And that's a great step to take if you're starting from step one, just to cover all of your bases in one purchase. Um, and that, that's, how, that's my recommendation for people who are without any gear at home. Okay. So... Uh... Would you recommend people buy the package then or assemble the package themselves? Meaning like just about everywhere you look, you can get the package deal, uh, rod, reel, line, 
you know, or do you recommend people buying it separate? It depends on what kind of person you are. If you just want to be one and done and not spend too much time and money and effort on getting your rod, rod reel online, get a package. It's going to work. It's going to get you on the water. You're done. You don't have to think about it anymore. If you happen to live somewhere where there's a really good fly shop, or if you really want to go down the rabbit hole and do your, do your leg work online, you can buy the components separate. You can buy your rod reel and your fly line separate, which maybe in the long run is good because you're going to get that knowledge, but it's going to take you longer and you're going to spend a little bit more money buying the pieces separate. Okay. That makes perfect sense. So in a nutshell, if you want to learn how to process wood with an axe, get a good axe or good enough that it'll hold an edge and be sharp. Don't try to learn it with a dull axe. Don't try to carve wood with a super crappy dull knife. Don't try to learn how to fly fish with the world's worst rod that's going to break or not flex. You know, it's got to, it doesn't have to be the best, but it's got to be good enough. Is that, would you say that's an accurate analogy? That's far more accurate and succinct than what I just spent the last 10 minutes trying to say. Yeah, so you, I'll, I'll turn it over. over here. Man, that was, that was, <laughs> that was pretty fly, man. That was, yes, totally agree. Pretty fly. Moving on to yeah. our next component, number three, Wasn't flux. That nice? Yeah. Man. See how I did I that? Didn't, I, I didn't even plan it. Uh, I, I'm just going <laughs> to throw it out there. That, that was not in the books. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, when you're looking at fly fishing, the definition of fly fishing, some people will say, well, what's your terminal tackle? What's the end? What's on the end of your line? Um, and in this case, we in the fly fishing world say it's your fly. To make it really simple, it doesn't mean it's your common house fly. Fly just refers to whatever form of aquatic insect or um, little aquatic creatures on the end of your fly line. It could be any number of things. And this is another area of the fly fishing world that has gotten um, wildly, wildly complex for a good reason, because I tie flies myself because I love the art of it. I love the experimenting. I love the connection with the understanding of what bug or little species you're trying to mimic with this collection of fur and feathers at home. But for the beginner, if you go into a fly shop, uh, we took a few guys from our uh, semester program up to Elvin Terrio's fly shop and Pat, highly recommend going there as well. And one of their reactions to walking in was this is like taking a hungry child to a candy store because it was just, it was overwhelming with options. And it was it's probably, it's probably a couple thousand square feet of just flies and fly tying material. Would you, would you concur? Oh, it's fantastic. And Elvin's the nicest guy uh, that you can imagine talking to. It's a wonderful locally owned uh, stores. I definitely give Alvin a try if you're in the North Mid Woods. Right on Route 11 in Northern Maine, just south of Patton. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic store. But it can be overwhelming. So if you go into a fly shop, you're going to see 500 different patterns of fly. Um, and that, like I said, covers a lot of different species. But it's very overwhelming. And but if we rewind the tape 20 minutes after or before all my rambling here, I said that fish are simple. They have a small brain and they like to eat. And uh, what do they like to eat? Put a worm on a hook, fish is going to eat it. It's, that's about as simple as, as fishing needs to be. Uh, trout are a little more picky at times, but most fly fishing can be accomplished with maybe a half a dozen um, pieces of tackle on the end of your line. 
And so what I wrote in the blog is um, there's three kind of styles of fly to be aware of. There's a fly that floats on the surface. There's a fly that sinks and you fish it below the surface of the water. And then there are flies that imitate bigger species like crayfish, fish, and leeches. And so I recommend getting two kinds of the fly that float on top. I'm gonna to try to stay pretty simple with my wording here. Get call, two flies that float on top of the water. Call it a dry fly. A dry fly. Yeah. And if we want the names, uh, if you want to get an Adams dry fly and an elk hair cats, those are two examples of a dry fly that will work anywhere, anywhere in the world. A lot of species of fish, whether you're fishing for bluegill or Atlantic salmon or trout, they'll all eat those bugs. And you can get those in a couple of different sizes. You can look on the blog and find more details. I'd recommend two of the bugs called limbs that we fish below the surface of the water. Uh, one would be a gold ribs hare's ear, hare's a rabbit, and the other is a pheasant tail. Again, and those will imitate a lot of the immature versions of that bug that we fish as dry flies. It's like the baby version of the adult fly. And then one of the most recognized and fished patterns that imitate like a bait fish or a crayfish or a leech would be called a woolly bugger. And if you get those in a couple different colors, you know, those five flies are going to cover you know, they can cover 90% of your fishing need uh, in the state of Maine for brook trout and salmon. Um, so that right there, keep it simple. Um, a quick story, when I was getting into this, I was in Montana, which is kind of a bad place to get into fly fishing on a very basic level because the fly shops are very big and, and full and very up to date out there. And I remember making list after list after list. I just scoured every book I could find and I was looking for those correlations. What does one author say that agrees with another author that agrees with another author as far as what flies do I need? And I'm pretty sure I spent like $600 that first day on flies in a fly shop. And ironically, I still have a third of them that I never even used. Uh, so start simple and gain complexity as your knowledge grows. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Okay, our next big picture topic. Uh, Odds and ends. What are some odds and ends that people should be aware of? Dynamite. Yes. Uh, WD-40 and Velveeta cheese. Ooh. Uh, that, was, that was a big illegal one back in Wisconsin. Uh, Velveeta covered in WD-40. Crush it with the fish. Highly illegal. Really? I've never heard that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's it was illegal in Wisconsin because they didn't want to like uh, def defile the America's dairy land with <laughs> Velveeta. <laughs> well, that was probably, well, you, you'd think that would be something we would support, just like the wanton waste and disregard for Velveeta as a cheese-like product. That would be the fish. It was probably it was like a good wasted WD-40 or something. There you um, go. Yeah, so odds and ends, you know, so we've got our rod, we got our reel, we got our fly line, we got our flies. Um, Kind of the only missing component to that is what we call a leader. And a leader, if you can picture what regular fishing line looks like, it's thin and it's clear. And so a leader is going to be a long piece of thin, clear monofilament fishing line. And luckily these days you can buy it in a little pack. It comes with a loop on the end, so it's really easy to connect to your fly line. And this is what you would tie your fly to. And so if you're shopping, you're going to want to pick up some leaders. Again, super easy to find. It's not a very complex piece of equipment to locate. Every fly shop has leaders. And most any sporting goods shop like Walmart, most gas stations yeah. in rural, if there's people fish there, most gas stations will have them. 
at least in the general, in the uh, in the Masardis metropolitan area, most of the shops have them. MMA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so, leader, um, I should probably pin this whole conversation. Uh, the one piece of, of information I, di I didn't mention yet was uh, fly fishing uh, rods, reels, and fly lines are all measured by what we call a weight. Not going to tell you what that means, but when you're starting out fly fishing, if you were going to buy one size fly rod, you would want a nine foot long. This is in the blog too. You want a nine foot long fly rod in a five weight. Don't ask me what that means. It doesn't, you don't even need to know what it means. But if you're shopping, you want a nine foot long rod in a five weight. And that means you can. Well, let me what? just, the, the weights, the, the lower the weight, like if it's a, if it's a two weight, that means it's super heavy duty for like catching giant fish. No, that means it's super light duty for catching tiny fish. And if it's a really it's high weight, tarpon. if it's like an 11 yeah. weight, that means it's for like big, huge saltwater fish. So the higher the number of the weight, the bigger the fish you would catch it with. Yeah, I mean, technically the, the higher the weight is in correlation with the weight of your fly line. Right. And then the weight of the fly lines in relation to the fly you're casting, not necessarily the fish. So there is a loose connection between rod weight and fish size, but it's more of rod weight to fly size. So yes. if you're casting, like you said, a really, really heavy rod, typically that means you're casting a bigger, two bigger fish, and that means a bigger fly. So it's all loosely related, but it's definitely true. The size of the fish, the size of the fly will determine what size weight rod and line you need. And so yeah, you're the right. idea being that if you were, if you went out fishing with that guy Quint from that Jaws documentary where they caught the giant shark, and you used one of his giant shark rods to try to catch like a like a six inch brook trout. It wouldn't probably be the most fun you've ever had. If he was there, it'd be fun. Well, right. no, actually, if he was there, you'd probably get eaten. But um, yeah, you, yeah, you're right. You're right. And so, I mean, people fish for two weights with a two weight rod, which is a really thin, noodly rod that even a, a large bluegill would give you trouble with. So anyway, there, there's a lot to know about weights and lines and, and rod lengths. Uh, you know, you can get a seven foot rod, you can get a 14 foot rod. So just, uh, there's a can you recap, what should they get now that, now that you were like, I'm not going <laughs> to say that because I don't want to, you know, confuse people. And I went off the deep end with talking about jaws and stuff. What do they want again? It all goes down. It all goes back to jaws. Uh, the beginner to cover all your bases, you can go from bluegill up until uh, small schooly striped bass, large landlocked salmon, uh, the nine foot long five weight rod and reel and line. Perfect. That's going to cover all your bases. All right. So moving on, number five is technique. What 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 would you like people to know about technique? Uh, yeah. Oh wait, I did pin that last. Hour. I'll get the technique. A couple other odds and ends. Oh, you want a small bag. You need a small bag to carry all this fun new stuff you're going to get. I, I started with a small, I think it was like a camera bag. It was tiny, the size of most iPhones now, probably. You just want something to put your extra flies in, maybe a couple extra liters, some bobbers if you're using your split shot. You want a little bag to carry everything, something that's not going to get in the way. And then there's a bunch of little odds and ends like bobbers and split shot and things to make our flies float, which you don't need to worry about as a beginner, but it's okay to have on your radar. Um, and then the other piece of equipment to have on your radar is waders and boots. Now, a lot of the fish we fish for with the fly rod are cold water fish. 
And cold water fish love water that's like 65, 70 degrees, which sounds warm. Probably sounds like your ambient air temperature in Texas right now. But if you stand in 65, 70 degree water for more than 10 minutes, your bones are going to hurt. It's cold. It, it, gets, it makes your days tough. And so I started, most people I'm sure started with not perfect uh, boots and waders. I started with uh, knee-high lacrosse rubber boots that they work. They're fine until you're in water that's an inch taller than your knee. And then your boots are full of water. Uh, if you're tough, you can start with just tennis shoes and blue jeans if you want. But something to keep in the back of your head is, uh, is a waterproof wader that's going to keep your legs warm. And then a boot that's made for fly fishing that maybe has a sole on it that's going to be a little stickier on some of the slippery rocks. So anyway, not to get too far into the odds and ends, but those are things that, like when you're making your Santa's list for next Christmas, those are things to, to ask Sandy Claus for. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Moving on to technique number five. This is a big one. Moving on. Oh, wait, I want to go back on the odds and ends and gear because that's fun and technique is scary. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So technique. I, I, I wish sitting here in my house, uh, looking at this beautiful sunny day outside, that I could sit here and in five minutes tell you how to fly fish because that would be, I, I would actually probably be rich because I would be able to sell the, the Tony Little version of, what did Tony Little sell? Was he a Exercise equipment. Exercise equipment. That's right. I couldn't remember. He had a long pony. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I wish I, I wish I could sell you that five minute abs version of fly fishing. And then Tim would try to sell me the four minute abs and I'd, I'd be broke. <laughs> Tim would have all my sweet ab money. Uh, I wish I could do that, but I can't. Uh, the, the, the long game of any activity should be a lifetime of study. And any activity that you can learn in two days or an afternoon, it's probably going to get boring after a while because you're going to max out on what you can do and, and where you can grow and what you can learn. Luckily with Fly Vision, there is nothing that you're going to learn today or maybe in the next five years where you're going to be like, I'm done. I, I know it all. Uh, that day just doesn't exist, especially when there's you know fish and bugs and weather and water and gear all to, to go down the wormhole and rabbit hole on. So um, what I will tell you, though, is what I wish someone would have told me when I was just starting out is that technique matters, just like in golf. You can be that jackalope, that uh, happy Gilmore is a ball off the tee and runs and swings like a wild man. And maybe every once in a while you connect and hit the ball 400 yards. And most times you, you miss and you've got a jackalope on the, on the, on the course. And, um, and so you look at most fly fisher people and myself included, and, and there's glitches in our, in, in our form and our casting and our knot tying and our fly selection and, and hopefully our determination overcomes those shortcomings and I, but you can solve a lot of that by doing yourself a favor and taking a lesson take a lesson from someone who knows how to cast take a lesson from someone who can get you on the water and get you on the right path from day one and maybe you'll forgo years and years of trying to undo bad technique and bad form and bad decisions where if you just start off on the right path the right first step of that journey, then you're going to save a lot of years uh, of learning and trial and error like I did. 
And so, so tech, technique is really why we started running fly fishing courses, right? Because most of the stuff about gear, granted, there's 8 million differing opinions, but you can get a lot of that from books. You can, you know, a lot of sort of the fact-based knowledge about what's this bug called, you know, what is this piece of gear called? How does it work? A lot of that is great, but essentially with casting, with fishing, you're learning a skill. And from an instructional design perspective, it's really hard to learn a skill remotely. Like you can learn information remotely, but as far as learning a skill, for example, how far back do you come on your back cast? How do you know if you've gone too far? You know, all those things. What is a good, there's 8,000 knots that I could potentially learn. What's the shortest, you know, what are the, the fewest I need to learn and how do I tie them? So, you know, being in the presence of a skilled instructor or just someone with more experience than you uh, is often the shortest route to competency. Would you, would you agree? Oh, without a doubt. And most of what I've learned in life, and just about everything, but definitely fly fishing, I learned by fishing with other really talented fly fishermen uh, in Maine and Montana and Wisconsin, um, and fishing with those friends of mine, you know, just watching their form and being like, hey, why'd you tie that fly on right here? Or what cast would you use to reach this fish in a really kind of tight spot? And those are the conversations that you can have with people that really accelerate your learning. And I totally agree. You could surf the web and read books, and learn about high modulus graphite rods, the benefits of graphite versus boron versus bamboo. And you can learn that because that's pretty cut and dry scientific information. It, because um, it's information, it's not a skill. Right, like right. You can't learn a skill that way. Right. And so you're right. That, that was you know, years and years of watching people struggle casting as a guide or out with friends. Um, you know, in a lot of the conversations we had, Tim, really led to us wanting to put together a comprehensive class where we cut out a lot of the information that you can learn on your own. And we hammer for those three days that skill, that technique, that kind of that meta knowledge of the activity of those things that you could watch YouTube videos for the next 30 years and you're not going to get that feedback tailored to what you're doing and tailored to your experience. And, um, you know, we had a fellow last May who had uh, had had some sh uh, shoulder surgery and I didn't know about it. And I was watching him cast and I, I was thinking, man, you know, that arm has got to get up higher. You're, you're sagging with your, your casting arm and it's affecting your casting. And, and so I was trying to help him get into better position. And it, it turned out like he's like, oh, no, I've had that shoulder operated on X amount of times. And I'm like, oh, that helps me now because now I can help you tweak your form and get a better cast where you, he could have watched YouTube videos the rest of his life and he wouldn't have had someone there giving him that corrective feedback based on his unique physiology. Um, and so there's, there's so many reasons to work with the guide and there's so many reasons to come and join us for our intro to fly fiction class in May. Uh, it's just, it's gonna accelerate your learning. It's, it's gonna give you that two or three year advantage to other people and it's going to get you going right away. Everyone in the class last May, I got feedback from that they were catching trout, but if not that next week, within two weeks of that program. And not easy places. Uh, a couple were catching uh, brook trout in Baxter State Park, like literally that next weekend. Uh, the other couple were catching fish up by the forks like two weeks later, you know, catching good rainbows, good brook trout. Uh, nice. And, 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 and honestly, giving me the, and if you're, if you're going out fishing and you're catching fish, you're having more fun. 
Like, yeah. let's let's call it what it is. Like, it's more fun to go out and catch fish than it is to go out and get skunked. So, uh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I listen to other fly fishing podcasts, and and routinely they'll get people calling in, being like, "Yeah, I've been really getting into fly fishing this summer, and so far I'm three months in. I haven't caught my first fish yet, but I'm 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 still doing it." And the hosts are like, "Well, you know, it takes a while. It may take that six months. It could be your first year fishing that you don't catch a fish, but I guarantee if you take a good class." If you work with a guide, you won't have that fishless summer, which bottom line, just, it sucks. I mean, we've all been there. We've all done it, uh, but it doesn't mean you have to go through that. Um, so, you know, join us up at, in Jack Mountain this May and, and your learning curve will, will accelerate. You'll catch fish. We're getting pretty long here. So I think maybe we'll finish this one up and maybe revisit it at a later date for number six through through 10, but just in a nutshell, uh, the dates are May 27th to May 29th. Uh, all the information's on the website. How big are the, how big is the group that you have for the, for the class? Yeah. What's the, so in, what's the max size? Yeah. Max size, max powers. So in May, <laughs> our max size is, had to be one Simpsons uh, reference in this last hour of rambling here. Yeah. Uh, in May, our max size is six. Uh, we keep we keep all of our fly, fly fishing classes uh, low in size because I firmly believe that I would rather uh, have less revenue and give you all a way better experience. And so our introductory class is limited to six, and I believe we're half full at the moment. Yep, three spots remain. Yep, three spots left in May. And then our classes in September are our advanced classes. And I believe those are limited to three or four. I, I could be wrong, but that's a smaller class. Sounds right. Yeah, because that's uh, all fishing in the field, remote camping, where we're fishing all day long uh, up on the West Branch. And so th that class is even smaller. Uh, Why September on the West Branch? Tease this one out. Oh, a little bit. man. September on the West Branch. What's like, happening on the West Branch in September? What isn't happening? What's, what's not happening up there? Um, no, West Branch is, like we were talking earlier, is epic. And September is the time when we're getting all of our spawning fish uh, running up in, in the West Branch. And so they're getting uh, the brookies and the salmon are getting big. They're getting colorful. They're getting aggressive. They're chasing down smaller fish out of aggression and out of territorialism. And so uh, the fishing, it, it can be wild. Last, uh, and, and pin that, and the weather's perfect. There's, there's, there, there's no bugs. The leaves are changing, so it's gorgeous. There's views of Katahdin. It's cool nights. It's warm days. And there's less people. Uh, for whatever reason, North Main Woods get quiet in September when it's ironically probably the best time to be there. Uh, last year, we were catching 16 to 20 inch salmon on, on nymphs, on streamers, um, and it was it was a beautiful couple days. And Not so just that, but didn't you tell me that you also caught a couple of very small uh, perch? The white perch. So, <laughs> yeah, that was one of those moments as a guide when I kind of had to laugh at myself. So, oh. uh, like, yeah, you know, sometimes just catching a fish is fun. And I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm never going to outgrow that. I'm never going to be too good for myself to not have fun catching just about anything. And, and so we were on a, a different eddy, which I'm not going to name. And the, my two clients were fishing the, you know, the meat of the run. 
And just to kind of give them a break from my instruction and my constant tinkering with their form and their flies, I just kind of walked to the head of the pool and the water was pretty low last fall. So there was a big kind of circulating non-trout salmon looking pool. And I was throwing a woolly bugger up there because I always want to stay a step ahead of my clients and try new patterns out to see if I can keep them in the fish. And it's like literally on my first 10 casts, I pulled in these like 12 inch white perch out of, uh, out of the West Branch. And I, I was giggling, I was laughing and my clients were giving me a really hard time that this master mean guy could only catch a white perch. Um, and so it became like this running joke all weekend. And I, I'm happy to be at the end of a joke if it means my clients are laughing and having a good time. And, and honestly, I was having a good time. I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't fishing the good water. I was just keeping myself busy and, and catching these perch. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, Tim, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. Like, it's just, you're out there. It's gorgeous. Um, the whole uh, canyon up there is beautiful. And, and a tug on the line is a tug on the line. And for me, it never gets old. I don't care if it's a carp or a Atlantic salmon or a perch. It's all good. Nice. Yeah. Agreed. Good day fishing is a bad day. Fishing is better than a good day doing most other things. Except talking with you. You know, this is, this is great. Yeah. That's why I spend a lot of my days like in front of the mirror talking to myself, um, trying just to optimize or something. Optimize optimization mode. You all can't see it. There's nothing. There's nothing but mirrors surrounding Tim's background. Right now. There you go. I can see like go. infinite of you. Well, we've been rambling for quite a while. Let's wrap this one up. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Let's do it again maybe soon and get through numbers uh, six through ten. And um, yeah, Paul Sviem, registered master main guide. Uh, and again, there's only three spots left in that May. Uh, intro to fly fishing three-day course so you can jump on the website there'll be a link in the show notes and uh thanks for listening yeah yeah thank you tim uh, i feel like i should inter introduce you as, as a master main guide as well it's not a service to yourself just to be uh giving us all the credit but you know thanks tim for having me on it's always great to chat i love talking about fly fishing and doing anything outdoors and i encourage you all if you're if you're at step one join us in may you're not gonna regret it it's a wonderful time Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Let's talk again soon. Sounds good. We'll see ya. See ya. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com dot com.